0: This is Play by Playcast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about Play by Play guys. Four Play by Play guys. By I'm told, a Play by Play guy. So bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of
1: Play by Playcast, Todd Godet. <laughs> Wait, the Motel Six guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel. Joel. With an L. Okay. Here's your host, Joel Godette. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Back at it here on a Friday morning, this is Play-By-Play cast. I am Joel Godette, and thank you as always for clicking subscribe or download, rating, and reviewing the podcast about Play-By-Play broadcasters for Play-By-Play broadcasters, hosted by someone that purports to be a Play-By-Play broadcaster. Mick Gillespie is our guest today. He is the voice of the Tennessee Smokies. A double-A affiliate of the Chicago Cubs, and really much, much more than that. He was most recently named the Baseball Digest, sorry, Ballpark Digest. I used to subscribe to Baseball Digest as a child. I don't know if it exists anymore. It was a cool little magazine, like seven and a half by something. It was like a, it was a small little pamphlet. Um, anyway, uh, the Ballpark Digest, 2017 Minor League Co-Broadcaster of the Year, Mick Gillespie. A uh, friend of the pod, Howard Kelman, was the other co-broadcaster of the year of the Indianapolis Indians, um, and we'll talk about uh, both those guys being named the broadcaster of the year, kind of sharing that honor, what it all means uh, to Mick right off the top here, uh, and we'll get into Mick here in a second. I always feel like I need to have some sort of, like, open, some sort of intro, and then I do them, and sometimes they ramble, I think, we could all agree on that, but... I don't know. I I kind of feel naked when, when we do nothing off the top here. I don't really have a crazy story for you though today. I, like, we're in the thick of broadcast season. Like, there's a lot going on. Um, I called a game on Saturday. Like it was it was good. Um, there are two things though that I, I am curious. As I thought and and sat here and put pen to paper. And maybe we can make the beginning of this week's episode a little more interactive than usual. Hit us up on Twitter, at PXPCast. I'm at Joel Godet, J-O-E-L-G-O-D-E-T-T. Uh, I think I've mentioned it on the pod before. Pretty open about it. Uh, I, I, I'm Jewish, member of the tribe. So, uh, Shana Tova to all of my fellow tribers out there. It is the Jewish New Year this week. And uh, one of the questions I've actually gotten from people in the past, being a broadcaster and being Jewish uh, this time of year is uh, if if I'm going to work on the holidays. Sandy Koufax, very famously, did not pitch on Yom Kippur. Um, that's kind of the historical standard as far as that goes. That's the one time that people always reflect back on. And I've had several people ask me. I don't know if anybody from work has asked. I don't know if anybody ever asks seriously. I think there's kind of like an ingest. Like, what, you're calling a game on Yom Kippur? Um... I've never really thought to do anything else. Like, you know, it's football season. I get 12 opportunities to do this. Um, and I know the Jewish New Year happens once a year. So, like, mathematically, I'm outnumbered there. But, you know, you get 12 opportunities to do it. You work all year for it. You strive all year for it. To give one of those up uh, is tough. And even, you know, Yom Kippur is a fasting holiday. So, you know, I, we, Ball State played North Texas a couple of years ago. And it was a day game. I didn't fast. I drank during the game. Um, I think I ate right before the game, uh, certainly drank just to, I mean, I'm broadcasting, I'm talking, I'm parched. Um, and I, you know, this Saturday, this coming Saturday, not, not tomorrow, if you're listening to this on time, but next Saturday is Yom Kippur and Ball State plays at Western Michigan. It is a night game. I'll probably try to fast during the day. Um, but if, if it was a 12 o'clock start, I probably would eat. Um, and I, and I most certainly would drink during it. Uh, So I'm curious if there are other uh, members of the tribe that listen to this podcast, hit me up on Twitter. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on it. If you've ever thought about it, if it's ever crossed your mind, um, if anybody's ever broached the subject with you as we get toward uh, actually into the high holiday season. um, How you've thought about that and how you've kind of bantied about in your head uh, broadcasting on the Jewish high holidays. I've always done it. I've always been for it, but I'm curious what you guys think. One of the other things I'm curious about interactively, and if you know, we're all here to, to listen to other people and to learn, um, but we can certainly learn from more than just the guests we have on every week. We can learn from each other. Another big thing that happened over the past week, certainly in broadcasting, and this isn't play-by-play, but I'm intrigued by it because I'm a political junkie. I watch, I mean, I watch all the cable news shows. I listen to all the podcasts. I I read a lot. Um, The Jamel Hill saga at ESPN with what she tweeted uh, in regards to the president and then the recourse after that and everything that fell out afterward. I am curious as broadcasters, and this is my greater point here. Feel free again, shoot us a a tweet, get the conversation started at PXPCast or at Joel Godet. Um, What you guys tweet about uh, and who follows you and what they follow you for, and if bosses tell you different things, but just kind of what your approach is to uh, kind of who you are on Twitter. If you tweet solely about the team that you cover, uh, if you have like a separate private account that does certain things, or if you are who you are and you've got diverse interests and um, you, know, you, you do it in a muted fashion. But I'm curious uh, what the general kind of thought is maybe across uh, some play-by-play broadcasters here. Uh, hit us up on both those topics if you're uh, interested or, or curious or want to get the conversation started, at PXPcast and or at Joel Godet. So that's that's I guess the the entrance intro for today. Sometimes I don't know what to do with it. I just want to dive right into the guests because I know that's why you guys are, are here. But uh, let's see if we can't have a little fun, get some conversation started on social media this week uh, in particular. All right. On to our guest, Mick Gillespie, who, as I mentioned off the top, voice of the Tennessee Smokies. Double A for the Cubs since 2007. Ballpark Digest, minor league broadcaster of the year, co-with Howard Kelman of, uh, of the Indianapolis Indians this year. Uh, in this conversation, we will start with that honor but we're also going to kind of span the course of his career. We're going to talk about what he views as broadcast superpowers and exactly what that means and how it applies uh, both to his career and uh, all of our careers, really. We'll talk about his influences. You'll hear a lot about Mel Allen and Red Barber. Uh, He has his own production house. We'll talk about that. And if you stick around till the end, we will talk about Will Ferrell a little bit as well. So uh, kind of a broad swath discussion here with Mick Gillespie. One quick note on a technical front. I don't know what happened. Uh, There were two segments of this interview that add up to a grand total of three minutes i don't know if i knocked the recorder or twisted it a certain way but there, i just recorded silence for about a minute and a half and, and about a minute and a half somewhere else as well um that's why you check the recorder folks <laughs> but uh there's two breaks in there maybe you'll hear them maybe not uh they're edited down if it seems a little off in two specific spots that's what you caught uh if not uh, i didn't have to say this and a little bit too much pulling back of the curtain and inside baseball but uh that being said let's dive right into it with Mick Gillespie of the Tennessee Smokies and the 2017 co-broadcaster of the year in minor league baseball from Ballpark Digest
0: yeah I think it's cool um when when I first found out I saw it was um Howard Kelman that um you know was the uh, the other guy and I thought that was really cool a couple reasons why like I'm a Alabama graduate I went to the same school as Mel Allen and when Mel got into the Hall of Fame, he was inducted with um, Red Barber. And I've read all of Red Barber's books. And, and I think, like, uh, you know, I, I like to tell stories and I like to get into other stuff on the air. But I, I really like Red Barber. And, and it, I just I have a picture of those two in my booth, Mel and Red. And so there was just a part of me that I mean, that, look, this isn't the Baseball Hall of Fame or anything. Sure. But I just kind of felt like, you know, it's pretty cool to, to kind of be inducted with someone. And I've never met Howard, but I have a lot of respect for him. Um, you know, I remember people telling me, uh, you know, about him from, you know, other broadcasters in the league and guys that have interned with him. Uh, you know, he's done 6,000 games and um, he's he, he's been on the air since the 70s. So to me, I, I mean, he may not look at it like that. <laughs> where he's like I'm, I'm i got this award with with mick gillespie but for mick gillespie i look at it and i go that's really cool uh to be mentioned in the same company as as howard Kelman.
1: you didn't make that number up too by the way he, he i think he's actually probably done six thousand games uh which yeah is- <laughs> no i, I lo- yeah I, I researched i looked at it and and I, uh, you know i heard about um you know kind
0: of how fast he bounced back from some health issues i guess last year last year yeah And I I just thought, like, this guy's a phenomenal, man. He loves the craft. Uh, You know, he's the voice of his city. And he's not, you know, on a national level, probably not going to get the recognition that he deserves. But for us, you know, guys that have have been in this a long time, we realize how special that he is. And and I I think of uh, Larry Ward, who was one of my partners in Chattanooga, and he's been with the Lookouts for 30 years. Uh, those guys mean a lot to those teams and to the, the fans of those teams and to the leagues. You know maybe they don't you know they're, they're not a major league broadcaster per se, but in their city they are and um, you know, I just tip my cap and I, and I look, I know I've got a long way to go to um, you know to kind of get to where uh, Howard is or, or Larry. You know I haven't been in it that long, but I, I definitely respect what they've done. And it's it's just a huge honor to uh, to be the co-broadcaster of the year with someone that has done so much and is so distinguished. So honestly, I think it's cooler than even if it was just, you know, me that got it. I I love the fact that, um, you know, we're we're both being honored together and, um, you know, and that he's done so many great things in his career.
1: Let me go back to two of the names you mentioned right off the top, um, first of all, though, and then and I guess one of them in particular, and, and that's Red Barber. Um, why, why is there a picture hanging in, in your booth of him? What is it about him that you've admired, that you uh, were drawn to when you got an interest in, in broadcasting, and, and I guess in particular who he was?
0: So when I first started broadcasting, uh, the very, very first time I ever met a professional broadcaster was uh, as a college student, one of my friends who pitched at Alabama was uh, by chance, and and there was no relation for me getting the job eventually, but he was a a pitcher for the Smokies. He pitched at Alabama and helped lead the tide to the World Series, and he took me up in his full uniform to the press box and said, hey, this is my friend, and he wants to get into broadcasting. Well, you know, the Smokies broadcaster um, was Tim Grubbs at the time, you know, and he said, hey, and, you know, really didn't have a lot of time for me. But the visiting broadcaster was Mark Hauser, And he was the voice of the Greenville Braves. And I don't know why he did it. He gave me his phone number. He let me sit in his booth. He went out of his way for me. He rolled the red carpet out. And so, um, you know, Mark kind of got me started in broadcasting. And the first thing he told me was that I needed to lose my accent. And the second thing he said was, you need to read this book. It's called The Broadcasters by Red Barber. And so that's how I really started my pro career, you know, like by reading this book. And in this book, it's like a history of of play-by-play broadcasting, how it started. And then by the end of the book, Red's giving you like uh, all of the things that he did to become one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. And then Mel Allen, I think this is really cool. When I went to Alabama, I had no idea that that the voice of This Week in Baseball and of the Yankees – Was an Alabama grad. I didn't know that he gave Bear Bryant his houndstooth hat. I didn't know that he used to do Alabama football. I didn't know any of that. I just went to school there, and we as uh, and then well, eventually I found out, you know, as a broadcasting student. But um, while his uh, sister and brother were still alive, we wanted to do a Mel Allen bobblehead doll for the, uh, you know, as a fundraiser. Oh, cool. And so we got to know his sister, and his brother, because they had to sign off on it to use his likeness. And part of that was that we got to go to the library at the university. And um, in the library is all Mel Allen's effects. So we got to go in there and see, you know, all of the things that Mel Allen had in his apartment uh, when he passed away. And, you know, his awards, the pictures, and all that kind of stuff. So the, the picture that I have in my booth, is a picture of Mel Allen and Red Barber, who were like um, oil and water as broadcasters. They were a lot different. And I don't even know if they got along that well when they were alive, you know, maybe especially when they were broadcasting, you know, Mel the Yankees, and then, um, uh, you know, uh, Red the, the Dodgers, and then eventually it worked together with the Yankees. But it's a picture of them doing the World Series, and um, we, we got a scan of that picture, and every booth I've had as a professional, I've had that picture uh, blown up and uh, in there. And a matter of fact, a couple years ago, the the Smokies were redoing the booths, and they and they took my picture and they, you know, they, they basically took it down and they were doing, uh, you know, all of the art in the press box, uh, updating it and doing it nicer. And they redid it and it looks fantastic. So he, they're still in there. Uh, And I look up at him all the time and think, you know what? I mean, like, that's kind of what you're striving for. The the first two ever baseball broadcaster, Hall of Famers, um, like, read to me. Like, he's going to do it like a reporter would do it, you know? I mean, he's going to kind of be not the story. He's he's just going to report what he sees. And, um, you know, he's going to do it in a professional way where he's going to do it smoothly and kind of stay out of the way of the game. And then the Mel Allen style is more of a, you know, hey, look, we and us maybe a little bit. Um, hey, I'm not going to mention it's a no-hitter, where it's, you know, Redwood, um, you know, maybe a little bit more personality. Um, you know, maybe maybe you interject, um, you know, players' perspective a little bit more, uh, you know. But I think that's a good philosophy, too. But I, what really, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is who are you? You know, what are you? Gonna do on the air to be yourself. You know, I used to play baseball. I've umpired the game. I've been around it a long, long time. You know, so to me, my personality is more of a Mel Allen, even though I have, you know, the utmost respect for Red Barber. And when I set up my career, I learned kind of the basics, the the ABCs of broadcasting. It, it came from uh Red Barber's book. You know, to me, it's like I've got to be myself. You know, and so. You know, I'm, I'm no. We've had a no hitter. We had a perfect game going into the ninth. I don't think I ever said the word perfect game, but I did mention that there were goose eggs on the scoreboard, and <laughs> I alluded to it so many times that you couldn't have listened and not known. But I never said it because, you know, I just felt like, you know, as a former player, I, 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 I don't want to jinx anything, and I don't even believe in jinx. But that's <laughs> kind of the philosophy I that, that I adopted, and I think that everyone. That is uh, in this business, ne- they need to find what works for them.
1: Where else does the baseball player uh, in you come out? Come out in what you do? You know, I found a quote from, from Len Casper in an article um, that basically said that he, he thought, and maybe still thinks, that you're one of the best kind of scouts of talent uh, of guys <laughs> that come through the organization. Um, yeah. How does that all play into you know when you look at Chris Bryant in Double A? how you can evaluate what you're seeing versus what I'm going to be able to see, which is I'm going to paint a picture and tell you stories that, you know, we've talked about. I'm not going to be able to really analyze the way he plays the game in the same type of way. Uh, How does that make you unique and and how do you apply that?
0: Well, I I appreciate Len uh, for saying that. And it takes a long time to kind of prove yourself when it comes to the scouting report that you give people on players, because as a broadcaster, they're not looking at you going, okay, you know why does this guy know that Sam Fold's one of the greatest outfielders uh in the minor leagues <laughs> uh, he's batting two twenty well that you know that's how I got to know Gary Hughes. He sat in my booth and i said i, I said this guy he's he's amazing i said it's, it, the pitchers love when he's in the outfield and when he 's not out there they get mad because he takes so many extra base hits away from the other team you know uh, or how do I know when there's a we had a kid named uh Kevin Hart that pitched for us, and this is all the way back in 2007. He had a he had an ERA that was around 10, and I and he had given up nine or 10 runs in the first inning, or maybe a first inning and a half of a game. And we're walking uh, in the outfield. I'll never forget it. Walking into the outfield in Jackson, Tennessee, and I stopped and I said, "Hey, I said you, you you're doing good." And he's like, "What do you mean? You saw my last start?" And I said, "I said yeah, but." Look, it's close. I, I can just tell. I mean, because I've tried to, I've tried to hit these guys, and I'm look, and to me, I'm looking at it, and I'm going, okay. So he's got this break. He's got a, a, his fastball moves. He's got this, this, I guess, curve slurve pitch that he throws that has a lot of really late break to it. I'm thinking, as a player in my mind, I don't want to hit this. And then I'm looking back at his last two or three starts where it's like the shortstop's not very good. He's got no range. Uh, you know, if he makes one play, the inning ends, or there was an error that Kevin actually made in the in that game where he gave up the 10 runs. And I think like eight of them came with two outs after he, it wasn't an error, but he misplayed a bunt. So, you know, if, if he, if, if the official scoring is different or if he makes the play, it's, it's, it's a, you know, he doesn't give up any runs. And I, and I told him that and he ended up making it to the major leagues that season. you know, and from that point on now, uh, our pitching coach, Dennis Wellen, uh, worked a cutter in. So he was able to kind of work. The, he had the curveball that would come in from the right, and then he had that, that cutter that would bring kind of a pitch that would bring movement in from the left. But I just – I don't know, man. I just, I've played so many games of baseball as a kid that I can tell by watching uh, why guys are good because I used to sit on the bench and wonder why I wasn't good. And uh, what what and what, what makes them what makes them tick, and then kind of how they are able to differentiate themselves from everyone else. So you know that, that's a couple of examples from two thousand and seven. Now, as a broadcaster, it's been difficult to turn that ability into a major league job. And 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 I joke with uh, with some of my buddies in broadcasting about. I call it broadcasting superpowers. Um, when you work with uh, guys who are very talented, what is it that makes them different than everyone else? Uh, one of my good friends is Wayne Randazzo. When well, he was in the Southern League, you know, I knew he was good, but when I heard him do a sports update when he was working with the score in Chicago, it was flawless. Uh, the pacing, the timing, his voice – and I realized at that point that his, that's his superpower. And then now he's gone, you know, to the Mets, and, and he's, he's excellent, you know. Uh, I didn't think he was bad before, but that was the one thing that I looked at with him and said this differentiates him from everyone else because we all do sports updates, but they're not good like this. They're not perfect, and his were absolutely perfect or when Joe Davis was, was in the Southern League, you know. <laughs> He didn't know the game that well. I don't even know if he still does. I mean, maybe he does, He's, but he doesn't need to. He's got an analyst there. But there's never been a guy that I've been around that pays closer attention to the details of broadcasting and then can tell you about them than Joe. That's his superpower, that he will look at or listen to a tape. And he will pick every single thing out of it that needs, to, that needs to improve and tell you how to improve it. And then, you know, for a young, you know, a young guy, um, you know, and to me, I've never thought, like, in terms of age, I, I don't think it matters. I mean, I think if you're good, you're good. And if you're not, you're not. But for you look at his age and, and, and you realize, like, this guy can give you a critique that you're going to get um, from him and it's going to be better than anyone else. So I'm not surprised that, that his career's taken off. But that's the superpower. I mean, he, he's able to assess a broadcast, figure out what needs to improve, and then improve it. And he's also able to, um, you know, to improve uh, on the things that, or at least he did back when he was in this league, the things he needed to be better at. Uh, it, it happened pretty, pretty fast. And, uh, you know, and, and he, you could tell him something one time and he'd figure it out, you know. So, but all these guys, kind of have that one thing. Ben Ingram, he's one of my best friends. He's uh, with Atlanta. He's on their pregame show. You know, Ben's superpower is that he's got this great voice and this awesome delivery, so easy to listen to. And when you listen to the Braves pre or post or, or when he fills in for Jim, he's fantastic. So for me, it's like, hey, how do you take this <laughs> this ability to, like, break down players and, and, and to see things um, – that not a lot of other people see now scouts see it because i talk to them about it but when it comes to other media people or broadcasters i'll say that you know did you notice that like and then they'll be like what are you talking about I'm like that that first step it, it's off awesome. you know and that line driving the gap like because I remember being a pitcher and throwing a pitch, and then, and, and, and someone wasn't able to get to the to gap in comfort because they just didn't have a first step, you know? So for me, it's like I'm going back to the days when I played, and I'm looking back, and I'm going, okay. Or when someone does something amazing, like a Jacob Hannon who won a gold glove yesterday, uh, I, I nicknamed him the ball hawk because he just was always where the ball was. And I and of all these outfielders, and we've had some great ones, and he's with Seattle now in the major league. He's one of the very best at just running down fly balls. Kind of not not quite like Sam Fold, where it's it's like you know, this instinctual thing. He just is an amazing athlete, and he can and, and he identifies where the ball's going like really quick and gets to it. So hopefully Someone will want a major league broadcaster that could, you know, break down uh, players uh, with uh, relative ease sometime soon.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what is uh? What do you think makes overall? Um, I guess what's the most important superpower? Uh, what makes good baseball radio? Um, or or what do you look for when you're listening for good baseball radio?
0: Yeah. Well, I, when I started out. Um, and, you know, I've done this for over 10 years now. Uh, actually, I think I'm closing it on 15. I thought, well, you know what, if I tell a good story and if, uh, you know, I can explain the game on the radio and it's, a, it's an entertaining and fun listen, then, then that's what's going to get me there. And then what I realized is that there's also a delivery part of it that I underestimated. STAATalent.com, you know, they, they've got a fantastic site. And, 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 you know, they represent a lot of guys, you know, that are coming up. But they, they'll put out, like, different things, like tips and, and, and things to, to help young broadcasters get started out. It, it wasn't until maybe, like, four years ago that I saw this, this uh, pyramid that they had. And one of the top things on the pyramid was, was voice. You know, how to use your voice. And so I talked to other broadcasters about that, you know, because I felt like for me, that was the, the weakest link. And in, in what I did is like, okay, how do you make your voice better? How do you make it, a, a, you know, a little less high pitched or a little less nasally? Uh, and, you know, how do you talk through your diaphragm? And you learn all these things. And for every guy, it's different. You know, Ben Ingram, I mean, he just naturally got an amazing voice. So the guy who, uh really got me going in baseball was chuck thompson a hall of famer with baltimore and i mean he had just this golden voice i mean it wasn't anything he had to work on it just it was there for him so uh but but for some of us uh you know you you've got to keep on working on hey the, the you know you can entertain the audience people like listening you know what you're talking about you're giving the score and the inning um I've never had a complaint from any of our fans about my voice, but I realized like, Hey, mm. uh, he, he, got a voice coach and Shaq recommended her to me. And I'll tell you what, man, for one whole season, every single week, sometimes twice a week. Uh, you know, she would, uh, it was, a, she, you know, she worked in New York. She worked with Broadway, uh, performers. And, mm. she, you know, I would just, we had, she had a, a, a different regimen that we would go through and then she would give me homework. And, uh, I, I, gotta tell you, man, it was like halfway through. I'm like, you know what, this is really paying off. And it had a lot to do with breathing and, uh, you know, in just the, the direction that you, uh, you know, when you're, when you're talking, you know, how, where are you projecting your voice? You know, are you, are you letting it go through your nose? Or are you, are you putting it, you know, you know, down through your mouth? And, mm. Uh, I got a textbook and, and I read that and, and it, I really noticed the difference. So I don't think there's a huge difference, but when I hear the highlights from you know two or three years ago or four years ago before I worked with her and and then the ones that I do now, there there's a big difference. And then the other thing was just you know learning how to uh, how to have a, a solid um, excited voice. And, and, and that, you know, I talked with guys who are in the major leagues that were in my league, you know, w- without telling on anyone. But, you know, and, and we used to talk about that. Hey, are you going to be ready when that moment comes to, to, to just hit it the right way, you know, to breathe the right way, not to, you know, overdo it? Um, I'll, I, I got to tell you, there's, there's some guys um, that are so, so good. But their voice is so bad uh, or their excited voice is so bad that they're never going to make it. And it's like you're, you're looking at them and you're going, dude, you're that close, man. And, and, and they're oblivious mm-hmm. to that. You know, For me, I look at it like if there's one or two things that I can do to improve, you know, why not try to figure out what they are and at least give it a try?
1: Tell me about your rise through the minor leagues, too, to even get to the point where you're at now. Um, because I look at, you know, where you've been to and uh, you were in Salem, you were in Chattanooga, you've mentioned, uh, the Wilson tobs, I, I think was where you first started in the, in the coastal Plains league. Um, but you, and, and we talked about this before we even started rolling. Um, but just from the standpoint of, uh, I mean, you've done a lot of building radio networks, selling airtime. Um, I, I mean, yeah. if I've got, the, I mean, do you have your own production company now too? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I do. What, what are the, what are all the different things you've done, um, that have made you better or opened some different doors for you um, that you think have helped you get to where you are?
0: Well, when I first started out, I was uh, at the university of Alabama and I went to uh, winter meetings and I thought it would be competitive, but you know, my broadcast in college, not because I was on the air, but I, because I was in charge. And I think that uh, leadership has been something that has come natural for me and it is um you know it's easy you know because i just i don't know why it just is and when i was in college at the the university of alabama i had this grudge against syracuse because i got into syracuse but i couldn't afford to go to school there so i wanted to kick their ass honestly in every single award that they had in broadcasting uh i wanted us to you know from this we didn't have a broadcasting school for say, I mean, we, we got to get on the air on the college radio station, but for this poor kid from Baltimore that came to Alabama, because it was when I was at Maryland, I couldn't afford to pay. As as expensive as out of state back then, you know, and I just had this grudge. I just, I wanted to beat Syracuse (laughs) because I thought, you know, if you're going to charge $40,000 a year, Uh, And keep me out. I want you guys to think about me every time there's an award and I want us to win it. We won a lot. We didn't always win the main award, but we got a lot of awards. And I had a great group of guys uh, who have all gone on to some amazing stuff in in this business around me. But I remember the first day I took over uh, as the sports director. I mean, yeah, it was a shock. Hey, guess what? You're not just going to get on the air anymore. You're going to get on the air with a purpose. You're going to earn your airtime. You're going to earn the right to do a play-by-play game. Um, you know, you're, you're, I'm going to critique it if it stinks, and you're going to hear about it to me. And um, some guys didn't make it, and then some guys hated it but flourished, and uh, and and they'll laugh about it to this day. You know, <laughs> so it's it's funny to think about now, but when when you know it was all said and done, you look back and it was like. We killed it, you know, and, we, and Syracuse wasn't even one of the schools that we even dealt with. <laughs> when, it, when it got to the bottom line, it was like it was like Marshall and Ithaca and some of these other places back then. But Syracuse, like they, they didn't even they weren't even in in, uh, in our atmosphere back then. I'll put it like that. But and, and I and look, I've got nothing but respect for uh, for the large. Uh, but but people that had come from the, the background that I do. We can't afford to go to school there. So it was like, hey, I'm going to make this a point to go in there and, and them to have to talk about Alabama. So when I went to the first winter meetings, I'm thinking, you know what? Hey, we just won 22 national awards over whatever coming years. Yeah. and We never won any before I got there. And, uh, and then I realized that there were like, you know, five jobs for like 400 people. <laughs> and, and then I wasn't going to get them. You know, but I met a guy who did, wasn't going to hire me, but said, "Hey, look, you know what? We, I might know a guy who knows a guy, and so that opened the door to Wilson, North Carolina. And I and I had to tell this guy, look, look, hire me. I'm going to come in there. We're going to, I'll sell the broadcast. It'll be the best broadcast that you've ever had, uh, and we're going to make some money. And that's what we did. You know, we went in there. We were on a 25,000 watt station." Uh, which was amazing because in North Carolina, I mean, you're talking about you know a huge amount of, uh, of territory that it covers because there's no mountains to cut down the signal, you could hear that thing all over the place. It was a station called Katy Country. We sold it, the, the, the GM was happy, he made money, I was happy, I was on the air, and, uh, and that started the career, you know, my, my broadcasting career. And then that same uh, GM went to uh, Salem, Virginia, as an assistant GM. He gets the job, and he's like, hey, we got to have Mick. Went there, and then, uh, you know, when we and ironically, I was in uh, Tennessee before him, but the two of us team up now. He's the president of the team, you know, so that's been kind of one of those things that you can never predict, you know, and he's one of the best executives in, in baseball, you know, and, and it's because – he, he's so good at you know the the business end of things and making money, but he's also good at, at finding people that were like uh, like I was back then. Where what I would have stayed up there and and to get a chance to get on the air, I would have stayed up there all night long and all day long to sell if I had to, you know. So from there, I went to Chattanooga. Um, the owner of the team in Salem when I was there he was an old baseball scout named Kelvin Bowles and he hated me I don't I don't know why he was a lot like Charlie Finley because when I read John Miller's book the things that he wrote about Charlie Finley <laughs> is, remind me of this guy um, you know his son was a fantastic guy this guy was awful he was the, the I've never been around someone uh, at, maybe maybe not off the work thing but all at the work site I, I <sighs> I st- this is a story I've never told this story before. I I made a lot of money for this team, uh, so I was the third uh, best seller that they had in sales back then. And so that's I'm not talking about broadcasting. I'm just talking about their whole sales team. They had two guys ahead of, them. and and you know, and you're talking about for them that's a lot of like, you know, house accounts and stuff. So there was no way I could have been higher than where I was. And so we're, we're given. Um, Christmas bonuses and this guy comes in looks around the room and says I really don't feel like you guys deserve these bonuses but the GM said you gotta you know you're getting them so here they are (laughs) my wife's sitting right there next to me I've just been I've been on the road with the team I've been working from you know 7 a.m. until 7 8 o'clock at night the entire time I'm there I'm listening to this guy tell me how to do play by play and then and then that's what he tells me at Christmas party. the next job offer I got was in Chattanooga, and I tipped my cap, turned their two-year contract down, and went (laughs) on to Chattanooga, and that was it, you know? (laughs) And that's a true story. And then uh, I worked with Larry Ward in in Chattanooga, I did two years there. And um, I said one of the biggest turning points in my career was Larry did a TV game. I'm going to guess maybe it was CSS back then that put the game on. He was the color guy on the CD game because when they would do the minor league games, they take the home guy and throw him on. And I did a game with Tom Hart, who's with the SEC Network, and I couldn't believe it. Uh, I couldn't believe how good Tom was and how bad Nick sucked. And, and <laughs> I remember driving home after that game, and I said to myself, if I am not going to be that good, I'm not going to make it. You know, like, and Tom was funny. He was on point. He, I mean, it was just so easy for him. Like, the game just was, like, slow. And for me, it was, like, so fast, you know. And I'm doing my best to, and you know, I think I'm, like, this great play-by-play guy. And then I get in front of, you know, on the same radio as Tom. I realize, hey, this guy right here. Uh, and, and his career is, I mean, look, he's, he's a, an excellent, excellent broadcaster. You know, no doubt about it he still is. He's one of the best. And, you know, for me, I'm like thinking to myself, like, I, how am I going to compete with this guy? It was the first time I ever like had to look in the mirror. And I, what I said was, if you aren't able to improve enough, then you need to get out of this because that's what it's supposed to sound like. And, uh, and to Tom's credit back then, you know, he took time to, to teach me a lot of stuff and, um, You know, and helped me with kind of setting up the basics of of broadcasting, you know, which is so important now. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and and if he hadn't done that, I I really don't know where my career would be. But he he did. And that kind of was like that moment where I think I I realized like how difficult the competition was and how I needed to improve. And so from there, you know, I got, I ended up getting the Smokey's job, which was his gig. Uh, he left, and, and there were you know hundreds of people that applied, and um, and they hired me, and I, I'm so thankful that they did because you know that led into um, Alabama women's basketball, you know, and I did that for seven years, and and the, the, my thing's been this: I did the Alabama women's basketball until it wasn't fun for me anymore. When you turn, what, these jobs don't pay enough to to when you to do them and and not enjoy doing them, you know, and the minute that I got out of doing that and then, you know, started working with the SEC network and started doing things with, uh, you know, Tide and Tuscaloosa, the football flagship station, you know, pre and post. It's like, Hey, my biggest thing's been, if you're not getting paid enough to, to put up with a lot of stuff. So if you show up and it's not fun, Particularly with these lower level play-by-play jobs, then find something else, you know. And I had some really good years with Alabama. Wendell Hudson, who was uh, basically Alabama's Jackie Robinson, was our head coach. He was the first black scholarship athlete. I, he's still one of my best friends. And uh, I'm gonna tell you, man, like every single game when he was head coach, it was fun. He it, he was great to the players. He was great to me. He was great to everyone because that's the only way he knows. And and then you know when they when they fired him, it was like you know eh, it just it just wasn't the same, you know. And so for me, it was like, hey, good luck, you guys. But it's time for me to kind of take that next thing and do something else. And, and I feel like with with this career, you know, you that's the way you look at it. Like if I guess it gets to the point where you make too much money to not to
1: not take it and not have a good time, but.
0: Every time I've showed up for work, I've,
1: it's been a job that I've wanted to do, and I've had fun with it. So uh, how do you get to the point where you start your own production company, and uh, how, <laughs> how nuts an idea is that?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, well so, uh, yeah, that's an entirely different uh, a, a different story, but one of the things that, that I've been able to do is, is work with people
1: and, um,
0: and, and kind of take –
1: well, I guess first of all, what 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 do you guys produce? Like, what I mean, we're talking games well, and things like that, or yeah, that yeah. I mean,
0: well, well, we yeah. Like my production company, like I don't technically work for the Smokies. They have an agreement with my production company, so we basically are in charge of putting a broadcast on and and doing media relations, and, and that's it. You know, like I could show up and work at five o'clock every day, as long as that work got done. No one's gonna. They, they don't have really a right to say anything about it. You know, like their, their thing is like, Hey, we just need this work done. And then you guys handle it or, you know, our, our shows in, um, in Alabama, it's just, it's the same thing. It's just, um, it, it's easier for me to use my equipment, my personnel and my techniques and, 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 and kind of just put the show on for those guys, you know, you just give me the money and I'll take care of that. I'll take care of everything else, you know, and um, we've, we've kind of do- dove into some, some TV production as well. And it's, it's the same thing, you know, uh, I, I think part of it was, was that, that they're all worried about how much time you're spending doing something now, you know? So it, our jobs, we're not able to like, put down a part-time hour, you know, it's like, hey, you know, it may take us three hours, but it might take us seven. But, but we kind of love doing it so much that we instead of, like, kind of putting us in a box with a certain hour that we're allowed to work, you know, we'd rather kind of just, and for me anyway, I'd rather just have, just give me the job, I'll get it figured out as a private contractor, and then here's the final result, you know. And if you go back and look at our television show this year bear tracks which uh it's at on my website nickthebroadcaster.com under broadcaster.com under shows you got to check it out we shot that thing and produced it on our max with uh two point and shoot cannons and i'll tell you what if someone can do a better show than that i want to see it hmm. i want i just want to see it i mean maybe they can but i'm going to tell you for for a bunch of you know play-by-play broadcasters i'm pretty proud of it it's, i think it's funny um, it's got a little bit of stupid baseball humor, uh, but it, it, you know, you look at it at the end of the day and you're like, you know what, you can get that on TV, people like it, you know, in the, in the ratings so sort of show, uh, pour that out as well. So, uh, the production company thing was, was kind of, I guess out of necessity because, uh, as we moved on from, you know, Hey, you're just, here's, you know, 40 hours a week to do this. Uh, it got kind of got to the point where I there's so many different things that I want to do that I, I don't want to be put in a box like that. That's how it started. And then, you know, businesses kind of like that, you know, in this business, they, they like to just have the final product. So I guess that's the best way to describe it.
1: Obviously, everybody uh, wants to get to the major league level at the end of the day, and I know you've uh, had a chance to get there uh, in, in spurts. I know you do the spring training games. Uh, you did a Dodgers game or Dodgers series this year with the Cubs. Is that that's true too?
0: Uh, I did the uh, I did the Dodgers and Cubs during spring training. Okay, and uh, got to work with uh, Ryan Coomer on the score. Okay, this year, uh, and unfortunately, uh, yet I haven't been there for the regular season, but. Uh, you know the the uh, cactus what's,
1: league. What's it like to get that done, call in in the cactus league and be able to to work with, with Ron and then on the TV side uh, to do the work you've done there too? Yeah, yeah, well,
0: it's it's great. Uh, Ronnie's awesome. You know, when <laughs> I won the broadcaster that the year, Ronnie was like the first guy to call me. You know, and it's like you just kind of like, hey, man, you're part of this. Mm-hmm. You know, you you're one of one of the guys that that uh you know that I got to team up with and um. It, I, I don't think it's any different than any other game. Honestly, it's just it's a different. You know, you're just on in Chicago, or you're just on uh, MLB.com. I, and if you look at it like it's any other game, if you're not preparing every single day to be on that that show there at the major league level, it, it's really tough to say. Well, you know what? Today I'm going to work half assed, and then tomorrow <laughs> I'm going to work full ass. Like it doesn't work like that. Um, m- my biggest thing. Me personally has been, uh, and this and this year I was really a stickler about this. Um, I didn't want to do too much after work because I wanted to come in the next day and put on a show, a great show. I just felt, and I and honestly just felt like I think you get to the point where people are going to tune you in and they're going to say, hey, there's Mick Gillespie on the air. And if you went out and, and got tanked the night before, people are going to be able to tell. And you, and you don't want them to, but they're going to be able to tell, you know. So I said to myself, like, look, I don't want anyone to listen and think anything other than this guy right here is one of the best guys to listen to in this league. And that was kind of my, my motivation was, was just, you know, hey, if anyone turns a game on in the suffering league, I want them to say, hey, you know, what? one of the guys you really got to hear is this Nick Gillespie guy. That, that's what kind of turned me on every day. To, you know go out and do my best and and then our fans who listen and and really appreciate our broadcast and, and are vocal about it that's the other thing you know you don't want to let anyone down um, so you know I, I just try to stay really focused on um, a routine you know I'm gonna show up at, I, I try I show up about three o'clock every day I got my coffee I, you know I'm gonna go through and read all my stories. I've got this one note that Joe Block got me started on, and now I'm an addict. And it's like, I got to have, you know, I got my this date baseball history, and I got my daily reads, and I got notes on all the players, and I update that all the time. And so I just, you know, I, I want to go in there and, and be really organized and have all that stuff ready and, and try to do the same things every day at the same time. I, I know that's weird, but that's kind of how I've done it.
1: Um, the other thing I thought was interesting, and this I I guess is a a a major league sense of things for you too, and I I guess kind of goes along the same lines. Um, you you've got a fairly large kind of Chicago media presence to you also, and I I mean you're on with them a lot, and they pick your brain a lot about prospects and things of that nature. And um, there are a lot there are a lot of us that you know. When you're when you're coming up in the industry, people always think about how to grow your footprint and how to be how to how to do more things and, and do more things for different people and, and kind of get yourself exposure and building brands and all those kind of buzzwords. Um, but it it's not the easiest thing in the world always when you think no. about it that way. Um, how did you go about it and how did you find success to get to the point where you would you you could get people in Chicago to say, you know, we need to have the the Tennessee Smokies radio guy on because he's a benefit <laughs> to us yeah
0: well it, it goes back to what i told you my superpower <laughs> i said i, I, can, tell, I can tell you who can, i can tell you who can play and i can tell you who can't play and when you know the, and have something people to sell them basically were, hey when people were pushing some of the Cubs prospects in the past that's that weren't good enough i said that you know and and i, and I, I there were times where i was the only guy there was a player named Junior Lake. There was no chance that Junior Lake was ever going to be a great player. He 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 couldn't lay off of a, the slider middle away. It was like kryptonite. Or or uh, or, or uh, what was his name? Uh, Alcantara. Um, he's still in the big leagues now, and he's a great kid. But if when he's a switch hitter, when he bats left handed, you can get him out of the changeup every single time. I mean, like it's it's. And as, as, as a guy that pitched growing up, I just know. I can look at it and tell you. I, I could get this guy out. and Or take a Kyle Hendricks. No, phenomenal. I, well, right. But when he was with the Smokies, he was a nobody. And he and I used to sit around and talk about, like, how we'd get people out sometimes. We'd run in and say, hey, this guy, you know, Dan Black, what, what do you think? And, and he's like, yeah, change up inside. But I'm like, yeah, dude, I see it. It's there every time. And – and that's when I realized that this guy, which he was good, but I'm like, this guy's going to be great. Yeah. You know, he's he's going. It did not surprise me that he went to the major leagues and then was the uh, National League's earn run champion last year. But I said it at at Cubs convention mm-hmm. on stage in front of everyone else. His dad came up to me and thanked me. This is before he ever pitched a big league game. Mm-hmm. Say, hey, watch this guy. Or there's another kid, Kenny um, uh, Chesney, uh, Chesney Young. He's going to be a good player. I don't know if he's going to be a major league star or anything like that, but he's going to be a good player. He's going to get to the big leagues eventually, and he's going to be a guy that's going to bat. You can just tell. Um, and and so when I first started out, you know, I was kind of the guy that would dispel a lot of the myths. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. You know, this guy, and I don't want to insult anyone, so I don't really want to get into too, too many of them. But, sure, you know, sure, sure. Uh, who, who was the other guy? There was another guy. I,
1: just, I agree with you wholeheartedly on the Hendricks thing, by the way, because I had him in Myrtle Beach, um, and you could see it then. Uh, yeah, but
0: it's like, the, but he's not on the prospect guy, nope. you know?
1: No, no, because so, he's from. So what? Yeah. <laughs> no, because he throws he throws
0: eighty nine, but it's like, hey, guess what? Eighty nine and eighty six. When you can put the ball at exactly where you want it, twenty five out of twenty five times with cut, you can get guys out. You know, like, I, I remember, like, watching him throw a bullpen, and he hit all 25 pitches right where he wanted them. I don't think there's – you could go to the major leagues, and I'm, I'm guessing that a handful of guys could do that. That's, that's really, really, really extremely amazing. But he can do that, and, and that's why, you know, other guys may struggle, but he's not going to. But look, man, there's, there's sometimes, too, where you, you miss guys. I, we had Casey McGee on our team in 2007. I never thought Casey McGee would have an extended major league career, but I'm glad he did. I always liked him. Um, it just didn't pop out to me. But what got me uh, – what, what I think got the media comfortable with me was, you know, we, we would talk about players that asked me about them. and I'd tell them what I thought. And uh, I, I think I was I was right a lot more than I was wrong. And instead of, like, reading – you know, a publications, you know, a uh, breakdown guys, here's someone that saw him play all the time. Mm. And, and was it, and then, and then if you go on my site and you watch the interview that I did on CSN years ago, um, and it, and I post, it's on there. I'm talking about Chris Bryant being like, like Cal Ripken. I watched He's him. still like Cal Ripken. Yeah. yeah. You watch it. You know what I'm talking about. He's still like Cal Ripken, but I saw that. When, when he was, uh, you know, when he was a double A player, you know, before he kind of got to, you know, to the status that he is right now. But I'm looking at this guy. He's a big guy. He doesn't go out and party. He's really focused on the game. He loves playing. Um, maybe he's a little bit oversized for his position, you know, whatever. Um, but he's a special talent. I still think Javi Bias is uh, scratching the surface on what he had. I mean, I really think he could be one of the greatest power hitters of all time. But he's as clutch as any player that's ever been there. And I said that on the show as well. But I saw it here. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a scout, and those guys are really good at what they do. But I I do have a, an ability to kind of look at – I got a pretty good idea of, of what I'm seeing. And then and then with that said, like as an amateur type of guy, I'm no by no chance in my Gary Hughes or – you know, Jason McLeod or any, you know, any of these guys. But when, when Dylan Maple shows up to your team and he's throwing 99 with a curveball that looks like the one your dad threw with a woof ball in the backyard, I don't care. I don't care that he started out in a ball and he's got a six ERA in his career. This guy's good yeah. and he's going to get to the big leagues. You know, and we, we, we did it. We did a TV interview with Dylan and he, he walks in. I mean, he pitched like two games with the Smokies at the time, and I said, "Hey, see, he you're you're gonna make it, man. Like you're you're gonna get there." And he's like, "Freaked him out, you know? I was, Like, no, no, don't don't, <laughs> you know? Like, I, I'm really focused on one game at a time. You know, this and that." I said, "I've seen them all, man. I've seen them. You, you what you got? I mean, look, he's still got to work on fastball command. He's he's got to get better at um, you know, at throwing strikes at that 99, but." I, I don't know how if anyone else ever told him that before and I wasn't trying to freak him out, but dude, you, you just tell. You know, it's just you're when you throw ninety nine and then come back with the, the curveball that my you know my father threw with the ball that was like taped with a little bit of that electrical tape and it, it looked like it was gonna hit you and then it just came back over like a like a you know, like a big hook. I mean, come on, You're throwing that with a baseball uh, so it's, it's not always being a genius, but I think it's just paying attention to the signs that are out there.
1: I have one last question for you, uh, and then I'll let you go, and it's kind of a non-sequitur, but I guess it's kind of on that note. Um, I guess your evaluation of, or uh, your, your experience being a broadcaster for uh, one of the, uh, I guess, nine games that Will Ferrell played in the major <laughs> leagues.
0: <laughs> yeah, when, I remember when we heard that Will was going to do that, and I was asking everyone, caucusing the, the different people around the, uh, you know, the, the Cubs that day, like, what do you think about this, you know? <laughs> and 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 it was mixed reviews, you know. Like, I don't think anyone really knew what the think, what what <laughs> the, the, the right. Thing. I was like, this is going to be great, <laughs> and so and so we're at Tempe Diablo, Len and I doing the game. And here comes this helicopter. You know, the way that we break our innings down is is Len does the first two. I do the second two. Len does two more. I do the seventh when he finishes the game, you know. So here comes the helicopter in the second. And I'm, like, starting to do the math. I'm like, hey, wait a second here. I think this is going to work out good for me, you know. (laughs) And so, so, you know, Len's on the air, second inning. Here comes Will. He's got his entourage. And I mean, next thing I know, like I'm I'm broadcasting the game, and you know now I'm on play-by-play and live on color, which is still fun. Uh, no matter who's on play-by-play or color, uh, it's it's just so easy to do and it's and so fun. Next uh, <laughs> thing I know, there he is. You know, he's he's replacing Mike Trout, and you know he's <laughs> he's coaching third, and he's got the signs, and he's he's batting and everything else. It was it was awesome. You know, it was awesome. I don't. I put it on my site because I like it so much, but I don't know if anyone else even pays attention to it. It's like, you know, do you, do you see, that's Will Ferrell. That's the guy from Old School. You know, he's right on there. So yeah, that was. I say of of in my career where it is right now. I mean, that's probably one of the top five things <laughs> that I've ever got to be a part of. <laughs> that's,
1: that's fair. That's it. Doesn't happen every day. So yeah, a hundred percent. Um. Mick, if people want to get, uh, find your work at MickTheBroadcaster.com. Um, what, is it Mick the broadcaster on Twitter, too?
0: Yeah, Mick the broadcaster on Twitter, uh, Mick the broadcaster on uh, the Internet. And that's just to make it easy because Gillespie can be a difficult name. There's like 10 different spellings of it. We, we did a game, Lynn and I, where there were three different spellings of Gillespie in that same game, pr- pronounced the exact same way. You know, when you 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 factor in Connor Gillespie and then me and
1: then you know, who the other guy was, and we all spelled it totally different. Yeah, so, G- yeah Gillespie, the, Gillespie, and Gillespie. Yes, but it's all
0: <laughs> Gillespie. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all said Gillespie, and that goes back to um, you know, be coming over from Ireland and changing the name. You know, and I guess that's just the way there. Was, my my best friend gave me for my birthday a couple years ago, like uh, my, my lineage. You know, like all the way back as far as he could find it in uh, on Ancestry.com, and it was really cool to see like that. My name changed like three times or <laughs> in about <laughs> about fifty years. You know, it's like wait a second. Like there's a census, and your name spelled this way. In the next census, I think part of it too is that, that I don't think people really could read and write as well back then. You know, so Fair. I think that's a that's an issue uh, that they dealt with. But yeah, so that's what we did. Uh, we did the Mick the Broadcaster.com.
1: That's got to have been fun, and and Mick, Mick is a fun guy. By the way, when it comes to the Will Ferrell stuff, I, Mick's known for kind of his his sense of humor too. If you if you do enough reading about him, and then obviously if you listen to him, and you pull him up online, you'll you'll hear that uh, he he has fun with the game. He does he does a really good job. Obviously, he was the the co-broadcaster of the year in minor league baseball. Um, and one of the things that I think if you go to that website that we just talked about, broadcaster Mick or Mick, the, sorry, Mick the broadcaster. Um he has a video of the Rickwood Classic, which the Tennessee Smokies play in and they go to a very old ballpark Rickwood, it's the oldest ballpark in the country, I believe. Don't quote me on that. Um, but in the video, Mick is dressed up in old-fashioned baseball style, like doing his actual job, like calling the game, interacting with the players. It's like showing up to work in costume one day. Uh, he really got into it uh, and I mean like the old-fashioned like barbershop quartet looking hat and like the the old-fashioned, you know, blue and white kind of checkered jacket. He got, he had it all. Uh, so he's, he has fun with his job. He enjoys his job. His passion, his enthusiasm for what he does clearly shines through. And a guy that is a, uh, a really good um, kind of bastion for people to, to look at and look to in, uh, in this industry. And I'm thrilled that. He had time and was willing to be a part of this podcast. Uh, Again, remember, as we said off the top, uh, let's see if we can't make it a little interactive this week. If you have your thoughts on how you run your Twitters... Um, as far as kind of what topics you talk about, what topics you don't talk about, if you are you, if you are just a broadcaster, if you're a sports fan, if you're a music fan, if you're a movie fan, if you're a politics fan. Um, You know, what interests you tweet about, how you tweet about, uh, and how you handle yourself uh, in that regard. Um, You can start that conversation at Joel Godet or at PXPCast, and then uh, I'll throw it out there as well. Members of the tribe, uh, if we want to have that... Have you ever thought about not broadcasting on the holidays conversation? I'm just curious what people's thoughts are on that topic. Uh, Get that conversation started again at PXPCast and at Joel Godet. In the meantime, we're going to take a seven-day hiatus while we're gone. Feel free to go through the back catalog, though. All of our previous episodes are there, almost 70 of them now. Uh, So if you want to dive deep into Wonkland with how to become a broadcaster, uh, you've got uh, plenty of options to go digging through. In the meantime, until next Friday, so long. This has been Play by Playcast, and we're out.